You're listening to The Pastor's Cut, a podcast from Park Community Church in Chicago. Every time a pastor prepares a sermon, there's material that influences, shapes, and informs, but gets cut from the final preach. That's why we started The Pastor's Cut, to give you a chance to go behind the scenes and access the content that informs the teaching at Park each week. If you're wanting to grow in your understanding of and fascination with the Bible, you've come to the right place. This is The Pastor's Cut, and we're your hosts, Sharon Brandis and Trevor Lovell. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our last podcast on Exodus. We wrapped up the book of Exodus this past Saturday and Sunday at all of our locations. So Trevor and I are joined by our second Near North Associate Pastor, Anthony Perry. Hey, yeah. AP. Welcome. I shouldn't say welcome. No, we, sh- we should say welcome, say welcome to, to you. How are you? <laughs> great. Glad good. to be here. Good. That was great. Good to have you here. Good start. Yes. Uh-huh. We're All just right. shaking it off. Let's, just shaking, shaking it yeah, out, you know? Shake That's the right. sillies out, right? <laughs> All the sillies. They're gone. <laughs> so, Anthony, could you share a little bit about your role here at Near North and how you, how you came into it? Yes, I can. Uh, I came in probably a different way than some of the pastors uh, came in. A lot of people came in through Bible college and then straight into seminary, and then they did internships to residencies and then came on staff hey, as associate telling, pastors. You're telling my story there. I'm telling your story, Trevor. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I actually came in a very different way. I had a lot of different church experience um, over the years. I was a worship leader for a little while. I was on the tech side for a little while. I had made videos. I had done stuff with the high school youth group at my previous church. And so I actually applied here about four years ago for a video producer role and as like a typical millennial, I thought I can totally do this job because you know I've watched some YouTube videos, I <laughs> bought some stuff on eBay, and I'm ready. And they said, actually, Anthony, you're not really good enough to be our video producer, uh, but there is another job that maybe you could fit better, and it was called a just a service producer. And um, I won't bore you with the details of it. I was only in that role for about a year, and then uh, Park changed their structure a little bit, and then I got moved over to the communications team with Emily, who co-hosted this podcast a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, was there for a little while, helped with the website. And uh, so if you have any problems with Park's website, you can blame me. Uh, and there are many problems <laughs> that you can trace back to decisions that I made. Yep. Are you the one who got the, the little uh, location things in the map to bounce up and down? I did not. We, no? we got a helpful programmer volunteer who actually knew about programming who could make us <laughs> have that cool feature. Uh, yep. So then I was there for a little while. And then about a year ago, I transitioned into helping to lead the 530 Sunday night service. And then last September came on actually as an associate pastor, started seminary, I started mm-hmm. preaching and um, have been there for a little bit over a year. And it's been a really mm-hmm. fun time, great learning experience, getting to hang out with Sharon. She comes to that service. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's been really good. Yeah. I do love the 530 service. It's my home service. And uh, love the community there. And so I had the privilege of hearing your sermon last night on this last portion of Exodus talking about um, God's presence and a number of other things. So for those of the people listening that didn't get to hear you preach, can you give us a brief recap? Yes. Uh, so essentially what happens is that because of the the golden calf, the Israelites, they make a golden calf basically to rebel against God. God says, listen, I'm still going to give you this blessing 
of this land. You've been nomadic people, you're living in tents, and you're eventually going to get this land. And even though you've wronged me by worshiping a different God, I'm still going to give you the land, the blessing that you desire more than anything. Mm -hmm. But I'm just not going to go with you anymore. My presence is not going to be with you. What you've done kind of is the damage is too big. We can't be together anymore. Mm -hmm. And so Moses at that point and all the people, they start mourning and they repent and Moses goes in to the tent of meeting, which was a tent outside of the camp where he would speak with God directly. And he basically makes a passioned plea to say, don't just get us into the land, but also go with us. And then he makes a really remarkable statement where he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we don't even care about the land. Mm-hmm. Forget yeah. it. We, we'll give up the blessing for your presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so my main point of the night was that the greatest blessing God has to give to us is his presence. His greatest blessing mm-hmm. is his presence. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for us to believe, I believe, in part because we have kind of a faulty understanding of what his presence means. And for many of us, we see his presence as primarily uh, just knowing a list of things about him. Mm. We have a very intellectual understanding of God. And so it's only once we have his presence dwelling, not just in our head, but in our hearts, that we can really uh, see it for what a blessing it really is. And mm-hmm. I kind of traced from the beginning of scripture how all the problems that we see today are resultant from Adam and Eve sinning and then being removed from the garden, which is being removed from the presence of God. And that God's saving mission in the gospel and over the course of the rest of history is basically a way of making people be able to come back into his presence, ultimately with Jesus providing uh, the kind of lasting solution where mm-hmm. now if you put your faith in Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit, God's presence itself, mm-hmm. comes to dwell within each of us. Yeah. You, you talked a little bit earlier about um, the, uh, like you gave some specific scenarios, right? Where people, uh, like they're wanting this certain thing and almost like asking the question, would you, would you give up God's presence to have that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I expected that not many people in the room would really resonate with saying, I'm going to give up my land for God's <laughs> presence. That's not something that we... Maybe if we were in like Nebraska or some <laughs> other farming yeah, state I, I or country. Yeah, I said in the sermon, if, if you were maybe, a, if you're an old-timey prospector, then maybe you would really be upset. Uh, think back to our Oregon Trail, Oregon yeah. Trail game yes, days. Yes, exactly. Would you give up the land? Yeah. So... um I gave some examples to try to make it more real. And and a lot of people in the Sunday night service, specifically at Near North, are single and, and think, man, if I could just have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then I would really feel complete and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And it would be like God saying, I'm going to give you someone who's going to love you, be your boyfriend or girlfriend, but I'm just going to not go with you anymore. My presence mm-hmm. is yeah. not going to be with mm-hmm. you. Or even something more extreme of saying, you know, maybe a couple that's been trying to get pregnant, but they're struggling with infertility. It'd be like God saying, you're going to have a child, the thing that you believe, you know, is going to give you so much fulfillment. My presence is just not going to go with you. Mm-hmm. And I, and it was a challenge, I think, for all of us to say, would we be able to stand in Moses' shoes and say, you know what, if we can't have your presence, then we would give up those yeah. blessings yeah. And, re- and really understand mm-hmm. that the presence is the greatest blessing. And I feel like that's only possible when we understand it both at a head level and at a heart level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Mm-hmm. So what got cut? Yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff in these two chapters. You could preach like multiple sermons on on just these two chapters and really hone in on a lot of different pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a, a big piece that got cut is like a much larger theme. Um, and I didn't, just as a disclaimer, I didn't study some of these other pieces as deeply as I did the stuff that I preached on because I've been trying to whittle down the amount of time I spend in preparation 
And so uh, these are not like super fleshed out ideas, but just in general, one theme that you see is after Moses asks God to kind of show him his glory, show him his presence, manifest it. And so God shows up in this pillar of cloud, and then he gives this definition about himself Mm -hmm. in verses six and seven of chapter 34 that get used a bunch of times in the the Old Testament over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But then Moses comes down from the mountain and his face is literally glowing. It's like luminous and all the people, his own brother Aaron, his older brother is afraid to see him like this. Mm -hmm. And so Moses, he covers his face with a veil and so this idea of the glory of God showing up in physical light, it comes up again um, in several different places. One, the primary one being Jesus, um, being uh, the transfiguration is when Jesus for a second yeah. is revealed in his glory mm-hmm. um, to some of the closest uh, disciples. And, and in the same way, they're all blown away in awe by him glowing like this. And then the apostle Paul, he brings up the theme again in 2 Corinthians, where he basically says, uh, now uh, in his time, when people would read the law of Moses, would read uh, stuff in the Torah, that it was almost like there is a veil over their faces, mm-hmm. that they couldn't see the glory of God, that it was over not just their faces, but over their hearts as well. And it's only in light of Christ, understanding what Christ has done, that the veil then can be removed. And then he actually goes on to say that uh, we reflect the glory of Jesus um, in more and more intense amounts throughout the course of our whole life. We're actually becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming more an image of his glory. And then ultimately, I believe that that points to the final glorification where people, uh, we believe that right now we have the presence of God spiritually, Mm -hmm. but eventually when we die, we'll go to be with God, uh, be reunited reunited in his presence uh, Mm -hmm. physically as well. And they call that in uh, theology, the glorification and so all this stuff points, I believe, to that ending where we'll actually reflect Christ mm-hmm. um, in, in much greater amounts than we can imagine in our lives today. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's even interesting to think about light um, and just what, what light is and how it functions and to look at it like through a biblical lens and see how that is such a significant theme all throughout Scripture. Uh, from like creation to here to Second Corinthians, like you're saying, even the Gospel of John plays really heavily into that theme of light and darkness and, and revelation there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and to think that light literally is, is another aspect of God's creation, that the, the God that we serve, the God uh, that we love, is, is also the God who created light, who brought it into being. Um, so it's, yeah, uh, it's kind of a fascinating thing to, to think about. Mm-hmm. And just how after sin came into the world and the world being, you know, uh, broken and separated from God. I'm sure if um, Adam and Eve at first saw this light of God, right, this glory on, like if, if Moses was in the Garden of Eden before sin took place and you saw God's glory on its face, they wouldn't be scared because that's what they were used to. And it's only because we've fallen short of God's glory and messed mm-hmm. up that now we're afraid of it, right? Like yeah. you were saying before that, putting this veil over our face or Moses's face or, and his heart, you're like covering up this goodness, this glory that we shouldn't have to do um, because we're almost like feeding into sin, right? By covering mm-hmm. it up, we're, we're, we're manifesting that shame that he's covering up. And instead, God's, if, we, if we let this light that God's given us show, mm-hmm. yeah. we're really 
bringing glory to him rather than perpetuating sin. And you made a good point earlier too, Sharon, about sin having power in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And it's only when it's brought into the light that it loses its power. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's really applicable uh, mm-hmm. to people's lives today for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even what you were saying there, like with the guilt, shame, like with the sin and when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that's, those are like the first three things that you see is they immediately begin to experience guilt, shame, and fear. Yeah. Things that had not existed before. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really is too, the, the glory of God, it's kind of almost seen as like a threatening thing in the Old Testament mm-hmm. because it's like he's like radioactive and mm-hmm. sin would just get wiped out and us along with it mm-hmm. as sinners coming to God without the uh, mediating uh, yeah. in between of Christ himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, you preached on how you had to prepare yourself to go into the holy of holy places. Yeah. And so yeah. how terrifying, right? For lack of a better English word, but yeah. terrifying God's presence actually is. So yeah. Hmm. So what else got cut? Yeah, so another thing, uh, this didn't really fit in uh, the sermon that I preached, but I thought was really interesting, was that the people, the Israelites, basically, they used all their jewelry to make this golden calf. Uh, to worship instead of worshiping God. Mm-hmm. And so then God basically tells them, listen, get rid of all of your jewelry. It's going to be too much of a temptation for you. And then we read that the Israelites, they got rid of it from that point onward, mm-hmm. meaning that they weren't wearing it uh, presumably for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that this is an interesting thing to help us think through stuff that leads us into sin, that sometimes there are certain things in our lives that are going to be such a big temptation that aren't necessarily bad things in the first place. Like wearing jewelry is not a sin, but for them, it was too big of a temptation. And so they had to get rid of it. And so I think right now the problem is there's some people who would really benefit from just removing those things that could lead them back into sin patterns that maybe they've left behind, Mm -hmm. but they feel um, sort of shame from other Christians that they say, well, you're just being too legalistic. You should be able to do this and that. And I think some examples, like even with something like like alcoholism that people it's generally understood if you're an alcoholic or former alcoholic recovering you shouldn't drink anymore and everyone kind of understands that and everyone Mm -hmm. they're not going to pressure you why don't you just have a little sip it's fine it's not a sin you know but there's all these other areas and i think a primary one is probably pornography especially Mm -hmm. in the demographic that i'm uh ministering to and that people there are people who are recovering from from viewing pornography pretty regularly and they probably have things that would tempt them right back into it like you, even things like you know rated R movies or certain TV shows sure. mm-hmm. and they can feel shame for saying well I should be able to watch this and not be tempted but I think this picture in this text is basically showing that there are some things you just may have to leave behind mm-hmm. and other Christians they may have different uh, feelings about those things and they might mm-hmm. might not be temptations to sin for them but for you you have to be okay with that and i feel like other christians have to be okay with understanding that if someone's saying i'm just not going to drink in this scenario i'm just not going to watch that kind of show to yeah. not just be super judgmental and think that they're being legalistic or something along those lines yeah yeah one thing that comes to my mind and it may not because i'm sitting with two men and it's not as prevalent for men but uh, with my own past with eating disorders and other women, I know it's so common, even in the church, of how many women struggle with um, food or thoughts about food and whether it's like, you know, over-obsessing or just avoiding it, right? Um, food's kind of like a gray area because we can't completely avoid it. And so mm-hmm. in some other forms of sin or like obsessive thoughts, what would your advice be of, it's not something you can avoid because God created it for your nourishment, right? You can't, you can avoid alcohol, 
you can live a healthy life with never drinking again. You can live a healthy life with never viewing porn again. Uh, you could live a healthy life with never doing drugs again, certain things like that. But then there's other sins that can creep into our hearts on things that are healthy and good, right? So what's your advice for other sins that are needed in life, they're necessary, but we flip them and idolize them, right? Where jewelry is not innately bad. I'm wearing jewelry right now and mm -hmm. uh, it's not my idol, but sure it could be. So how do we how do we flip it from just um, this this idol that we're holding on to just back to what God has created for something that's good, nourishing, whatever it may be? Yeah, I think, uh, and I'm I'm going to try to avoid like sweeping generalizations because I do believe that it's probably person to person. Of course. And uh, I think one thing could be even looking at um, like triggers, right? Even around something good, there's ways to engage with God's good creation that can maybe. Uh, trigger it right mm -hmm. and so even things like you know for some people who really struggle with self like their self-image um, something like social media may not be the best thing for them to engage in because mm -hmm. then they're constantly going to be saying you know how am I comparing to other people and and it's just kind of bringing all those issues about their you know body image to the surface and mm -hmm. so some people maybe just that trigger is is take something good like food or exercise or whatever and and just can create it and push it to a more sinful uh, part of their life. And so I think, yeah, I would be trying to, trying to determine what are the sort of triggers or ways that things can be used that can push mm. us down those sinful paths. And those things might be the things that we would avoid. Because you obviously yeah. can't, you yeah. can't stop eating and um, yeah. you know, can't stop exercising. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. No, but that's good of uh, what I was thinking when you're talking about social media and someone that's trying to find their worth in likes or comments or followers, right? Um, mm -hmm. instead of finding our identity in that and avoiding that, we should be saturating ourselves in God's word and finding our identity and our truth in that. Yeah. So, Amen. Yeah, that yeah. is good. Anything else get cut? Uh, one quick thing. Okay. Uh, basically, and this is more of a helpful tool that we can use, I believe, as modern Christians, is that when Moses is in the tent and he's speaking with God and he's basically uh, making this passioned plea to God of saying, please go with us. And, you know, don't just give us the land, but give us your presence as well. And as he's doing that, he's praying to God. He's basically praying all the things that God has promised him back to God. He's saying, listen, you say that you know me by name. You say that you love me. You say that you know us, that we are your people. Mm -hmm. So because you've said this, then then uh, please continue to be our God. Continue to allow us to be in your presence. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so uh, I, I feel like, the effectiveness of Moses' prayer is mainly in part because he uses God's promises in mm -hmm. speaking to God. And so we see that God, each time that Moses prays this way in this section, God responds and says, okay, I'll do it. I have said that. I will do that. Um, and, and I believe that that's something that we can do today, that you're much more likely to have God respond in an affirmative uh, fashion when you're actually mm -hmm. praying things that you know he wants, that you're playing, praying alongside Mm -hmm. uh, along with God's will, mm -hmm. what yeah. he would want for your life. And uh, obviously you can have different ideas. Theologically, is it possible that God can change his mind because of your prayers? Um, I think from our perspective and from even the reading of the text, it's clear that because Moses prays this way, it leads to the, desi the, the desired outcome mm -hmm. that he's actually going to continue to go with them. And so that's something I would encourage all of us to do more that when we're engaging in prayer, that we mm -hmm. pray back the things that we know are true and the things that he wants to be true of us. Yeah. 
even the Lord's Prayer is actually a good place to go with that because um, it's, you know, it's language that Jesus himself gave us to use in prayer um, that includes a lot of things that I think we typically pray for anyways. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks, AP, for joining us this week. That was a great way to wrap up Exodus and mm-hmm. being set free to live free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I know usually the saying is you save the best for last. So you guys kind of flipped the script a little bit. Uh, oh, this yeah, was great. Have, it was super it was, fun it was to good. be on with y'all. Yeah, good to have you here. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this first season as we're wrapping up the Pastor's Cut for the first season. Sharon, thank you so much for being here throughout it. Thank you for having me as your co-host during this first season. Thanks, neighbor. You've continued to brighten my day every Monday morning. (laughs) Same to you. And uh, thank you all to the pastors for coming out throughout this first season and being here, being a part of it. Thank you for those of you who listened. Hope that you're walking away with a better understanding of the book of Exodus and just soaked up that book and uh, walking away with a better understanding of the Bible as a whole. Uh, So looking forward to what's ahead. Stay tuned.